Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our Associate Care Pastor, Joshua Masters, will deliver a New Year's Eve theme message about what it means to make a New Year's resolution. You can primarily follow along with this message if you open up the Romans 12 in your Bible. You can also find your weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. Well, Happy New Year, Brookwood. It is December 31st, so if you haven't fulfilled the New Year's resolution you made in January, you've got about 13 hours left. So if some of you have to jog in place during my message, I will forgive you and I will understand. Let's make sure you get that done. Every year we keep trying to be better, don't we? Every year. But really, the only thing that New Year's really means is that the earth went around the sun again. That's what it means. Yet for some reason, we attribute something special to New Year's, don't we? I think it's because God has built something into us that desires a new beginning. And even though some of us try to ignore it, we innately know that each one of us is designed for an eternal purpose. Not a yearly purpose, an eternal purpose. Look at Ecclesiastes 3, 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. See, he has planted a desire in us to be a greater reflection of eternity, to be a greater reflection of of him. And we all know that innately inside us. But that doesn't come from turning the calendar. It comes from turning toward Christ. So today we're going to look at the source of real change in our lives. You can go ahead and turn or swipe in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you're using the Bible that we standardly use, that's available in the bookstore, it's on page 913. 913, Romans chapter 12. Now, a smarter pastor than me would break this chapter up into separate messages dealing with the individual topics addressed, but I'm not that smart. So we're gonna look at the whole chapter. And in truth, these individual topics are not actually separate at all. They're not individual topics. So although we can't delve into every single verse in detail, our goal this morning is to look at the whole chapter and see how it all works together to create real transformation in our lives. So let's start reading. We'll start at the top of chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, actually, let's stop there. Hard to believe we'll get through the whole chapter at that rate, isn't it? But there's a problem here. See, we have a tendency to take the Bible in small chunks, but it's one complete message. The Bible is one complete message. So when you see the words, and so, which this chapter starts with, or therefore, or because of this, what does that mean? 
Yes, that's right. It means that it directly ties to the previous thought. Remember that each book of the Bible was written as a complete, continuous work. The chapters and the verses were added later so that we could easily find things, and that's good. But in order to truly understand God's word, we need to look at the full context of what's being said. So if this chapter starts with and so, then we need to look at what comes just before that. So let's go back one verse, verse 36 of chapter 11. Paul is talking here about the wisdom and the sovereignty of God. And he says this, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Now, the Greek word translated intended for here is, is intended for his glory. The Greek word is ace, and it's actually a numeral. It means one. So everything has one unified purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to God. That's your first villain. Everything exists for God's glory. Everything exists for God's glory. So as we move forward, remember that chapter 12 continues under the premise that God is sovereign, everything was created by him, and that everything he created is intended to glorify him. And that doesn't just mean the way that the earth flies around the sun. It doesn't just mean the glory of creation as described in Psalm 19. You and I were created to bring glory to God. So the question for this new year is this. Is your life bringing glory to God? Fully and completely bringing glory to God. One purpose. If not, then we need to be changed. But we look at our lives and it seems impossible. And we look at our resolutions year after year and it seems impossible. That's because we need something stronger than a resolution. We need revolution. The word revolution means a sudden and radical or complete change. Sudden, radical, or complete change. But we are incapable of creating a true revolution in our lives, honestly, because we have too much loyalty to our old country. We try to keep dual citizenship in both the kingdom of God and in the nation of me. But the kingdom of God doesn't recognize dual citizenship. If everything was created by God for his glory, then there can be no secondary life. It's one purpose. And the only one who can change us to fulfill that purpose is God. So the only way that there can be a new revolution in your life is if we seek a revelation from God. Personal revolution comes from God's revelation. Which simply means God reveals something to us that we didn't understand before. 
And then the truth, that truth, causes an internal change within us. Revolution. Let's go back to our text. Oh dear, we're still in verse 1. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So if I want a revolution in my life, the first thing I should ask God for revelation about is my dedication to him. That's B, my dedication to him. Our bodies should be a living sacrifice. And sometimes that verse is interpreted to mean that we should take better care of our physical bodies, and we definitely should do that. But the indication here in this verse is that the body represents the whole person, the instrument of life. In Judaism, they believe that the body is just clothing for the soul. So it is not sufficient to give a portion of myself to God. How do we truly worship God? Well, according to this verse, the text says that we need to be a living and holy sacrifice, which means my life is completely set apart for the sole purpose of bringing glory to God. So many times we find ourselves saying, I want more of God, but we're fully unwilling to give him more of us. But the truth is, God doesn't want more of you. He wants all of you, every aspect of your life. If you want to be completely changed, ask God to show you anything that you haven't surrendered to him. Ask him to reveal every aspect of your life that is not honoring God, Psalm 139, 23. Some of you know that I walked away from God for a pretty long time. And when I was first coming back to him, I was struggling with a lot of darkness in my life, and I didn't understand the direction of my life. And there was a day that I found myself in the parking lot of my church, in my car, sitting in my car, sobbing, crying, weeping. And I didn't see any chance for my life to change. And I screamed out to God out loud. I said, God, how long do I have to wait? And the Spirit of God answered me in my heart with a tone that I can't really describe, but I will call it compassionate correction. And God said, no. How long must I wait? It wasn't God's dedication that was in question, it was mine. Even in your anguish, you can cry out to God. Ask him to give you a revelation about your dedication to him. But let me give you a spoiler and perhaps a warning. 
when you truly listen for his response to that, the answer you will receive will be difficult. In fact, the thing that he's going to ask you to surrender is likely going to seem unbearable for you to give up or change. It will be hard. So I should also ask God for revelation about my willingness to be transformed by him. The first step is to be willing to be transformed by him. Transformation means a complete and radical change, a revolution in your life. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The old life is gone. Can you say that that's true? If you're really honest with yourself, can you look at your life and say, every aspect of my old life is gone completely? Well, this verse not only says it's possible, but that it's expected. So how? How how do we grab a hold of this new life? Verse 2 in our text. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The only way for there to be a revolution in your life is for God to transform the way you think. There's nothing that you can do. Make sure that you understand this. It has to come from God. It has to be a revelation of his truth directly from him. You see, it's the way that we think that's the problem. There's probably thousands of pastors today talking about failed resolutions. And most of them will talk about our lack of willpower to carry out our resolutions. And they're right. We don't have the willpower to carry out our resolutions. But our willpower is not the real problem. It's our thinking. Let me give you an example. And I'm going to ask you to be honest. Go ahead and raise your hands if this is true. I'll start with me. I'll start by raising my hand. How many people here sometime around the beginning of November said, as soon as the holidays are over, I'm going to get serious about diet and exercise. (laughs) Right on. That's the socially acceptable way to say it. Now let me translate. I'm not taking care of myself. There are things in my life I know God wants me to change, and I probably should, but First, I'm going to bow to social pressure and binge on everything in sight for the next two months before I'm willing to give up anything. (laughs) See, the problem is our thinking. Your resolution has been launched with an act of willful disobedience. The truth is, we don't really want to change anything, do we? But we'll give it a go because we think that we should. Our actions 
extend from what we believe and what we think. So if you want to change your actions, you have to change what you believe and what you think. And that's why God wants to change the way that we think. But what does he want to change it to? God wants us to see the world through his eyes and then respond to it through the perspective of his wisdom rather than our own. See 1 Peter 4, 1 through 3 and Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, they're in your outline. He wants to teach us how to think like him. But that only happens when our dedication to him brings intimacy in our relationship with him. It occurs naturally through pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, an ongoing relationship. So when we ask the question, how willing am I to have God transform me? The real question is this. How willing am I to have Christ be my only focus in life? Now, much of the rest of the book of Romans, chapter 12, and even past chapter 12, the rest of the book is spent describing the hallmarks of a Christian life. And every one of these characteristics are an extension of our first three fill-ins. Make sure you get this. In order to achieve these hallmarks of a Christian life, you have to recognize that you can't achieve them. They come only from acknowledging that everything exists to bring God glory. Surrendering ourselves as a living sacrifice in dedication to God and allowing him to transform the way we think. And when that happens, when those three things come together, there should be evidence of that change in our lives. Transformation displays evidence. That's C. Transformation displays evidence. No one ever confuses a butterfly for a caterpillar because the transformation is evident. So I want to test that transformation in myself. So to test that in myself, I should also ask God for revelation about my serving. About my serving. Jesus came as a humble servant. So if we're transformed to think like him, then we should naturally develop a heart for service, right? Verse 3 in our text. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with the Christ body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Now, anytime the Bible says this is a warning, we should stop and take note. So we'll come back to that, but let's give the full context of what is being said here, continuing in verse six. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. 
So if God has given you the, abil- the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership abilities, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. See, typically when we look at passages about spiritual gifts, we often focus on the question, are you serving? Are you using your spiritual gift? But I think that's the wrong question. See, serving is a foregone conclusion in the Christian life. And when you put it all together, when you put this whole chapter together, I think the question this passage is begging us to examine is why are you serving? What's your motivation for serving? Has your thinking about service been transformed? See, the passage warns us. We saw a warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. There is no place for pride in the service of Jesus Christ. No place for pride. Service should never promote ourselves or create envy for somebody else's gift. Too many of us want to be the Bose stereo system of Christianity instead of being the fan belt. Because it's flashier. But the fan belt is so much more important. If everything was created with the singular purpose of bringing glory to God, then the role of each individual piece actually doesn't matter. The fact that it's included does. The fact that it's working together with the others does. Make sure that you hear this. You cannot effectively use your spiritual gifts if your mind has not been transformed by God. Otherwise, you will always make your spiritual gift about you. And once we have a transformed mind, It should cause a drastic revolution in how we respond to others. So I should also ask God for revelation about my love for others. Verse 9 in our text. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Hmm. I learned a little phrase since moving to the South. Maybe you've heard it. Have you ever heard this phrase? Well, bless his heart. (laughs) Did I say that right? Okay, now how many people know there's not usually a whole lot of blessing going on when that phrase is used? See, what Paul is doing is he's asking us to examine the sincerity of our love for others. Is it sincere? And he's not just talking about getting along with people or being friendly to people. If you've learned any Greek at all from the Bible, you're probably familiar with the term agape. That's the word translated as love here. 
Now, there are several Greek words used in the Bible to describe different kinds of love. But this one, agape, this one means selfless love, unconditional love. C.S. Lewis called it gift love, a pure love you freely give. It literally means a love feast, unconditional love for everyone. Does that really describe the way we treat one another in the church or in our community? See, even when it comes to the simplest concept of loving, we find ourselves incapable of succeeding without revelation from God. We need him to transform our minds because that is what transforms our heart. Look at what God said in the book of Ezekiel. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. When you feel bitterness and hurt, when you feel beaten down by the world, when you feel like nobody cares for you, wouldn't you like to have a new heart? That is what God offers. Let's continue in our text. Verse 11. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice Hospitality, And then just for a moment, jump down to verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. Now let's leave that passage up there for a bit as we examine it. When our mind is transformed and we're able to love others unconditionally... It will radically change the way we live our days out, our, our regular day-to-day activities, right? It will re- create a revolution in the way that you respond to other people. Now, your circumstances may not change, but your perspective of your circumstances will. Work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. That's what that verse says. Also in Colossians 3.23, it says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Now, how many of us have gone to a job miserable? How many of us have drug ourselves into work, dreading our job and hating our boss? I know I have. Not here, Gene. But look at these two passages. It seems to indicate that we should be enthusiastic regardless of our job, regardless of the task. Because no matter who God put in authority over you, and make no mistake, God did put that person in authority over you, but that's a sermon for chapter 13. But regardless of that, you should be living out your greater purpose of glorifying God.
when we surrender ourselves to that purpose in a relationship with Jesus, the elements in this passage become part of who we are. We will naturally help the needy. We will naturally be hospitable. We will naturally weep with those who are sad and celebrate with those who are happy. We will naturally live in harmony with others. We'll naturally do all these things because it will be part of our nature, our new nature. And it's because God alone can make that transformation in us that Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. John 13, 35. Our heart for service and the way that we love others are two of the best measurements of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, I can get on board with most of that, but what about the people who are jerks? Fair question. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Uh Uh-oh. Jumping down to 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you, you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Well, I kind of like the part about heaping burning coals on their head. That's good. I will be honest, there are days when I wish that the Lord would hand me the fiery sword of justice and say, have at it, son. But that's evidence of an unchanged mind and a hardened heart. Because if you look closely at these verses, there's not much difference in how a transformed mind treats their enemies than how they treat their friends, is there? Now, that doesn't mean it's fair. It seems unfair. It's not fair, right? If someone has hurt you, there should be justice. They shouldn't get away with it. They won't. Neither will we. The verse doesn't say that there won't be justice, just that it isn't mine to hand out. My purpose is to bring God glory in every interaction I have in this world, knowing that his justice is not marred by my emotions. It's holy. Every sin against you is actually a sin against God. It was God's law that was broken, not yours. You may have been harmed by what the person did. You may have been hurt by what the person did. But the sin is against God. So it must be God who brings justice. 
Now that doesn't mean we don't set healthy boundaries. It doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth boldly. Scripture clearly teaches that we are to hold one another accountable for our actions in the body. That's absolutely clear. That's not what this passage is about. It's about our motives. It's about our hearts. It's about the corruption of our own minds. So I have to sincerely ask God for revelation about my desire for peace. My desire for peace. When people come after you, when you're under attack, when people are against you, do you seek unity? Is your first reaction a desire for peace? Now we could go line by line here. We can delve into the Greek and discuss the historical context, and that's necessary sometimes. But in this case, the text is pretty straightforward, isn't it? your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Pray that God will bless those who persecute you. The text is easy to understand. It's difficult to live. Impossible to live without transformation. Look at Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. But we're not capable of being holy. We're only capable of accepting Christ's holiness in us. Earlier we read where 2 Corinthians says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So now let's look at the verses that lead up to that text. And I want us all to look at this. I want you to see it in front of you. So turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 5.15. 2 Corinthians 5.15. If you're using this Bible, it's on page 932. Chapter 6, verse 15. Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. So the question is this. Do you want to know Christ differently? Because if you want to stop living for yourself, if you want to stop evaluating others from a human standpoint, if you want to live for Christ in service, you must know him differently. You must know him deeper. You must become so intimate in your relationship with him that you are transformed to look like him. It may seem impossible to stop living for yourself. But it's not a mistake that the verse that we just read 
says, instead, they will live for Christ, comma, who died and was raised for them. I don't think, and this is just my opinion, but I don't think that that reminder of Christ's resurrection is there because Paul thinks you forgot that he was raised up. I think it's there to remind us that he has the power to raise us up. In the chapters leading up to our text, Paul says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. A new life is there for the asking. New life. Jesus has already bought freedom from your struggles. He's already bought freedom from your pain. He approaches us with victory already in hand. If you want the next year to be different, if you want you to be different, then your relationship with Jesus must be different. You have to be willing to come to the end of yourself. I want us to take just a few moments to let God speak to us individually. Ask God to reveal himself to you. We keep trying every year. We keep trying and trying to meet these conditions laid out for the Christian life. But they're not conditions. They're an offering. They're being offered to you. Aren't you tired of trying and failing? God is waiting for you to stop trying and let him make you new. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Don't you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. That's the promise God made to Israel and it's exactly what he wants to do in your life. Stop fighting. Stop fighting because the only way to win a personal revolution is to surrender. Are you ready to say, lead me to the end of myself? If God is speaking to you this morning about anything, don't push that voice down. Listen, grab hold of it. 
will have counselors and pastors down front and in the care connection room that will talk with you, that will pray with you. Don't miss the opportunity to be made new. Would you stand for our closing prayer? Father God, I pray a blessing on each person here. I pray that whatever you stir in our hearts, my own included, Lord, that you would not have that robbed from us, that you would give us the strength and the courage and the willingness to grab hold of it. Lord, we don't want this to be another year of the same. We want to be more like you. We want to be changed to be like you. Show us how. Teach us how. We give you praise. We give you glory because you deserve it. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. And we thank you for your mercy and your grace. In the name of Christ, our King, our Savior. Amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.